0: Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence and we welcome you. We thank you for your intercessions for us. You take our imperfect prayers and you present them perfectly before the throne of the Father. And you help us to remember all that our Lord Jesus has taught us. We ask you now to deal with us in a very personal and individual way as we step deeper into God's truth and God's love this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, this morning, <clears throat> we have a Jebez appointment about a Jebez appointment. <laughs> Before I heard that term, Jebez appointment, I had always called moments like that divine appointments. And uh, I guess that's really the, the heart of the matter, is that God is somehow serving as our appointment secretary... God is setting us up and scheduling us and moving us about and putting us in the lives of other people, uh, I don't know, perhaps before we, we were even born. There may be moments which God has ordained for us that we step into along the way, and we're going to see one of these moments very, very clearly here this morning as we talk about Philip, who was one of the original seven deacons. You'll remember that we noted last week that the original job description for the first seven deacons was to wait on tables, which might have been something of a euphemism for Christian social ministry, taking care of the physical needs of people, particularly in this case, the needs of of the widows. But uh, apparently, these first seven deacons were were not given, given written job descriptions because They didn't stay in in those tasks very long. At least if we can draw from Stephen, who was stoned to death because of his powerful preaching uh, and because of signs and wonders which he worked pointing people to Jesus as the Christ, or if we can assume anything further from Philip, another one of the original seven deacons, didn't stay around to wait on tables long. He too, empowered by the Holy Spirit, uh, moved out with signs and wonders and, and, and preaching and personal testimony in powerful ways beyond those first steps of um, of caregiving. If there is an introductory lesson to this whole thing this morning, it simply may be that those who are faithful in little will be given opportunity to be faithful in much. And we can assume that Stephen and we can assume that Philip perhaps did a good job in those early assignments and God blessed them with more irresponsibility. That's a nice little thing about the kingdom of God. You do a good job, you get to work harder. And when you work harder and do a good job, you get to work even harder. Uh, When the twelve, when the original apostles came back and found Jesus meeting with the Samaritan woman by the well, remember? Remember? And uh, he wasn't hungry, they had gone for lunch, and he didn't want anything to eat when they got back, and they asked each other, uh, has somebody given him something to eat? And Jesus said, my, will, my food is to do the will of my Father who has sent me. So we are rewarded for good work by more work, and that more work well done becomes our food. It's what brings us our fulfillment in life, to do the will of our Father who is in heaven. So maybe, uh, maybe Stephen and maybe Philip did a really good job with taking care of uh, distributing the food to the orphans in the early Christian community. And God opened a door for greater responsibility, a principle which we can transpose upon our own lives. Do a good job in the little things, and God will give you bigger things to do a good job And also, and your food, that which actually feeds you most, is to work hard for him. Now, uh, we are uh, are in uh, Acts 8, and what has just happened? Stephen has preached a confrontational sermon. He has stopped preaching. He has gone to Medlin, and it cost him his life. And we hypothesized last week that perhaps even the Holy Spirit just took him up and and caught him up and spoke through him because there was a dramatic change in tone between the first part of, Steve, of, of uh, Stephen's sermon and his conclusion, which was quite confrontational, and it cost him his life. And we thought, oh, how th- how terrible it was! He was obviously a very smart man. He 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 gave an overview of the history of God's dealing with the children of Israel, apparently spontaneously, and he spoke without notes, and he did a great job. And what a waste that he was killed. Really? What happened when he was killed? There was a great persecution. And he was the first Christian martyr. But the early believers, the early disciples were scattered. They were flung out to distant places. And the scripture says, after the execution of Stephen, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And one asked initially, would Philip had ever gone to Samaria if it had not been that he was running for his life? Uh, dire circumstances present unusual opportunities. Perhaps he would have gone to Samaria, but perhaps not. Perhaps he would have stayed in Jerusalem and taken care of the widows. But he fled like others fled. He went down to Samaria, preached Christ unto them. Scripture says the people there with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Um, a, a, an application to, to this the whole concept of someone who had been raised up to do Christian social ministry just being released in great in great power is also that God is no respecter of persons. And you may think that what you do around here, or you may think that in the kingdom of God you're a behind-the-scenes man, you're out of the limelight, uh, you're, 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 you do menial work, you're not all that important, you just don't know. You just don't know Uh, what small deed of obedient service that you may do will lead to a forum like in which Philip found himself for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed and there was great joy in the city. Now, we're going to transition away from that into a different setting In verse 26 of chapter 8. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip. Note in this story that Philip is moved by divine guidance. A Jebeah's appointment is looming. And each time he is moved by divine guidance, the description of the mover is somewhat different. In verse 26 of Acts 8, the angel of the Lord spake to Philip. Um, Later, in verse 29, the spirit said unto Philip. Later, in verse 39, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. So we have an angel, we have the spirit, we have the spirit of the Lord. And not to get bogged down in spiritual metaphysics here as to how you know one from the other. The point is that God intervened. The point is that there was divine providence. There was a divine directing of Philip to a certain place where there would be a certain man. And the angel of the Lord sends Philip down a desert road coming down from the higher altitude of Jerusalem, down toward the coast. Gaza is still there today. The road to Gaza. And he arose and he went. Notice he did not say, what are you sending me out into that isolated place for? There are lots of people over here in Samaria. Why do you want me to leave all of these people and go down into that desert where there's almost no one? You ever beat something to death by asking God why or telling him you don't understand? There was a season in my life in which God was really actually verbally directing me to do some things and to walk away from some things and I kept saying I don't understand I don't understand I don't understand this doesn't make any sense and a voice came to me and I I think it was an angel and it said you are not called to understand in that same tone you are not called to understand what I heard and so Philip goes without argument from a populated area where he's got a great ministry out into the middle of nowhere, he arose and he went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all of her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship. Now, uh, he's a eunuch. Why? Because he works for a woman, he works for the queen, and that was one way, I guess, of. Protecting the queen against any kind of improprieties. Uh, And we assume that that was... Well, we won't go there. Uh, (laughs) We won't go there. I better not assume anything. Uh, But he uh, uh, he was identified as a eunuch. And he was a man of great responsibility. And he's coming back from Jerusalem. And he was sitting in a chariot. And he was reading isaiah the prophet now one might assume that there's a driver here and he's not driving while texting but he is reading apparently out loud from the prophet isaiah then the spirit said unto philip go near and join thyself to this prophet and Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Now, if this is not a Jabez Je- appointment, I don't know what is. But there is a direction to go near a chariot. We might say, go over by that car. Just hang around, around that car. And so there's this, this question from Philip to this eunuch and Philip is being very existential here and picking up on on, on, uh, an open door, and he says, in effect, I see you reading the Bible. Uh, Do you understand it? And the man says, well, how can I understand it unless somebody interprets it to me? Now listen, we could drive a Mack truck through that opportunity, couldn't we? I mean, there's nothing subtle about that at all. Do you think there come to us those moments in which all subsit- subtlety is laid aside and it is like an aqua velva slapping the face? Remember that old commercial? <laughs> Thanks, I needed that. Uh, in which God makes it so very, very clear and plain that he has involved you in something that if you don't go forward, it is an act of deliberate disobedience. I mean, it could not be any clearer. There's nothing subjective about this. An angel of the Lord, the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, said, there's a man, go over there by that chariot. Years ago, I was driving to Knoxville, Tennessee, to be a part of a reunion of of college friends, and uh, I was caught in a, Horrific traffic jam on Interstate 40. It was like a parking lot, and we were just inching forward. And uh, as we, I was in the far left lane, and I had a little ham radio transceiver in my car, and I got on it trying to find out what was going on up ahead, and uh, found out there was an 18-wheeler overturned, and the best lane to get in would be the right lane. So I moved over into the right lane, just crawling. The guy let me in. And just as soon as I got over into right lane, here was a car that was broken down, and it had a young couple, and it had three children in it. Just as soon as I changed lanes. I roll down the window. Anybody help y'all yet? No, nobody has. I said, What's wrong? I said, I think our, um, I, I don't know, something was wrong. I think something's gone. And he said, I can fix it myself if I can only get to a part shop well get in the wife three little children we're creeping along I-40 going to Knoxville it took me three hours to go and find a part shop which was open on a Saturday and bring him back to that spot where his part car was waiting to be fixed in that three hours we began to talk we talked and and um, He said to me, when you pull over and change lanes from the left to the right lane, my wife had just said to me, what are we going to do? And I looked up and I saw this rock. This is Tennessee now. I saw this rock and it said, trust God painted on it. And I said to my wife, We're going to do just what that says on that rock. And you pulled over and ran down your window. Jabez appointment, divine appointment. So clear that if I had been disobedient to that, it would have been in my mind a great personal sin. Now listen, these times come. And you know in your spirit what's happening here. But the flesh or the devil will say, oh, you're just imagining that. That's just coincidence. That's not god incidents. Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him in the chariot. He's been led in the car. The place of Scripture, what you read, was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. You know the scripture, Isaiah 53? Wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole. With his stripes we are healed. It is the most evangelical chapter in all of the Old Testament. It is my favorite chapter in the Old Testament. And you have one Jew witnessing to another Jew about Jesus Christ using the Old Testament. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation for his life taken from the earth? The eunuch answered Philip, and I said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Who's he talking about, he's asking Philip. Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And in the Revised Standard Version, and he commanded the chariot to stop. And they went, forth, went, went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And as they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord Caught up Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, but he, the eunuch, went on his way rejoicing. Baptists love that scripture. He went down into the water with him. (laughs) Baptizo, you you know, means immerse. It means dunk. How in the world did they find water out on a desert road like that? That road is probably, probably still there. Well, you found water in the desert only during the rainy season. Rainy season in Israel is uh, roughly late September to early April. So we can imagine maybe there were some winter storms and these wadis, these dry river beds, uh, gullies, had filled with water and there were some pools. And if it was the rainy season, what might the eunuch have been doing in Jerusalem? what goes on in Jerusalem during the rainy season. Well, late September, early October, Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, it is the holiest day uh, in the Jewish calendar. It is the most uh, sacred of the Feast of Israel in which uh, Israel corporately and individually asked God to forgive of sins. So perhaps this eunuch had gone up to Jerusalem for Yom Kippur and it had rained while he was there. Or a little later, maybe, into the rainy season. uh, December, Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights. You know, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Christmas, Merry Christmas. Um, Perhaps he had gone there for Hanukkah. Uh, Or later, in very early spring, the Feast of Purim, in which was celebrated the role of Queen Esther in rescuing her people from that evil Haman who wanted to hang Mordecai, remember? That seems to fit to me because... The eunuch was a servant of a queen. So perhaps she gave him permission to go up to Jerusalem for Purim, which was in honor of another lady, another queen. But we don't know. But it seems to me that um, if they found water in the wilderness, it must have been during the rainy season. And this man had gone to Jerusalem for a religious purpose, which made him a seeker. Right? Ah. So, sharing your faith is not a one-way street, is it? Because there are seekers out there already preparing the way in their own lives for you to speak up. It's not like you're over here, and God's doing all the work getting you ready, sharpening your faith, making your testimony clearer, giving you courage, giving you humility. And that's the only side of the room is working. If over here there are people who do not know him, then is he also tilling their hearts and working on their spirits? So it is a two-way street. God is getting people ready for you. It's not that you're just being gotten ready here where well, there's marvelous interest. Uh, emphasis on the church moving out beyond itself. It's not just that God is saying here, go. But he's out there saying, receive them when they come. Hear them, listen to them, trust them, befriend them, welcome them. He is setting up appointments for you and me, and I suspect has been doing that ever since before we were born. Isaiah 53, of all scriptures for Philip to come upon and ask to be interpreted. And so, there is this baptismal expression of faith. That seems to me very important. This linkage between expressing faith verbally and expressing faith parabolically. Uh, Baptism is a parable or an analogy for you were buried with Christ by baptism unto death so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, you too might walk in newness of life. The symbol of baptism is more death, burial, resurrection than it is washing away of sins. It is referred to more frequently as death, burial, resurrection. And it is linked to the salvation event in the preaching of Paul and in the preaching of Peter. Those who received the gospel, those who received Jesus as the Christ, were immediately what baptized. Because symbolically, in a powerful, powerful metaphor, powerful Parable. There is an interpretation of what happens when one comes to Christ. The old person dies. The old person is buried. The new person is resurrected. And so the eunuch says to Philip, see, here's water. What is to prevent my being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. An act of his own volition and his own free will linked with the, the, uh, the parable of baptism. And so they come up out of the water. The spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. The eunuch saw him no more. And then the postlude to this wonderful story is he, that is the eunuch, went on his way Rejoicing. Probably not simply rejoicing that, the God, that God had risen up, raised up um, Philip, but rejoicing that God had tilled the soil of his own heart and gave him that hunger for spiritual truth. Listen. Every person eventually hungers for spiritual truth. We are not humans having spiritual experiences. We are spirits having human experiences. The core of our being is spirit. It is not flesh. The flesh will be laid aside. And that spirit which is intrinsically eternal, that spirit which intrinsically hungers and thirsts for eternity. What is Ecclesiastes, Thou... We, we, we hunger for eternity. Uh, he has given us an appetite for eternity. We ask eternal questions. Is there anything more? What's next? Is there life beyond the grave? Can I be happier than I am in this physical, material environment that I have so invested myself in? Every person, every single person will eventually ask questions about spiritual truth. And what does that say about us being a little more comfortable in offering answers? It's not like we jump on somebody and sit on them and beat them over the head with the Bible and say, you're going to listen to me. It is rather instead recognizing the emptiness. Recognizing the unhappiness recognizing um, the the endless striving like some hamster on an exercise wheel that so many of us get caught up in. We just run, 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 run and get nowhere. And why is that? Because we are spirits. We are spirits. And we're looking for the answers to spiritual questions in the wrong place. The eunuch said to Philip, Philip, How will I know what this means unless somebody interprets it for me? Guess who the interpreter just may be. You don't have to be an academic. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to major in Bible in in college. You know what it is. It's simply a matter of saying, well... This is what happened to me. This is my story. This is my testimony. And you are the world's expert in your own testimony. Nobody knows more about your walk with Jesus than you do. And if you can simply say, I don't know whether it fits your circumstances or not, but before Christ, this is who I was. And this is how I came to Christ. And this is now who I am. Personal testimony is the most powerful of all preaching. There is no greater authority than personal testimony and personal experience. You will be heard and you will be listened to better if you frame your witness in your own experience. And then after the Spirit of the Lord catches up, Philip and he's gone mysteriously he's just gone eunuch doesn't see him anymore eunuch goes on his way rejoicing philip was found at azotus which was down on the mediterranean and he's working his way north passing through he preached in all the cities till he came to caesarea this story has the providential hand of god stamped all over it Stephen is martyred. The early saints are scattered. They go preaching in every town and village as they go, scripture says. And as they go, Jabez appointments, divine appointments, set in place perhaps before people were born, are opening like flowers in the sunlight, and God's beauty. In fragrance and reproductiveness is being shaped and cultivated in the hand of the master gardener who gives you and me the joy of helping him in his garden. What would have happened here if Philip had just said not just a coincidence Or if Philip had said, look at all of these lost Samaritans over here, and you want me to go down on some desert road? You know what I think would have happened? God would not have interfered with his free will. He would have left him there. But that would have been the end of him in the Bible. You would not have heard another word about him. But as it was, he was obedient to go into a place where there were almost no people, and he reached one person. And the story of leaving many to reach one, without questioning God, whose ways are not our ways, and thoughts not our thoughts, gave him a place in Holy Scripture. And the story is being told, and it's being told, and it's being told, until the Lord Jesus... Comes back. Listen, this emphasis here about the Jebez appointment, the divine appointment, I think is one of the most understated uh, truths about how God works in many of our gatherings. But the truth of the matter is, God is working all around us to open doors and to build relationships and to put us exactly where somebody else is who has been reaching out and seeking him. And you are there, and you are it. And if you don't do it, nobody will. Tag. You This week are it. Go with us, Lord, in sensitivity to your spirit, with love and courage, in Jesus' name, amen.